life is a journey and it takes all kinds of twists and turns and changes. Some of them that we see coming, some of them we don't see coming. And this week I started on a journey that I did not see coming. Um, I was here at Cabin Common and I was making my way to work and there was no real rush for me to get into work on time. Um, because it's pretty chilled at the moment. The kids are all away at half term, so just admin, it's reading stuff, learning new things about psychology, engagement, how to deal with kids who have anger. Um, inappropriate outbursts of anger. We all have anger. It's not like these kids have anger. None of us know what it is. We all have anger. So just kind of reading, studying this kind of stuff. And then, so I'm just kind of chilled. I get down onto the tube station, and I'm there on the platform, and it's like, it's crazy. It's like eight people deep trying to get to London, the other side's pretty empty, and um, everyone's pushing to try and get on the train, and I'm like, this is totally not worth this kind of hassle. So I just sit on a bench, start reading a magazine, chilling out, and then a few trains go by, about four, and I'm like, okay, now I need to start getting serious about getting in now, like, I need to like think about standing, staking my claim for the next door. And so I'm there, I'm staking my claim, and um, it's always packed, it's totally packed. So like the tube, by the time it gets to Captain Common, is like a can of sardines. And I'm just one more sardine desperate to find my place on this voyage to work. And so I kind of push my way in. I've got my head contorted like that, one arm like this. There's some woman under that arm. My head is trying not to rest on another woman's shoulder. So that would be like totally weird as a married man, like, oh, hello. And so I'm kind of like stuck like that. Then the next up, Clapham North, is where it gets really tricky because there is always one person as the door opens that sees someone's contorted like that and doesn't think, hmm, there is no room. They think, I can definitely fit in here. So there's this woman next to me whose shoulder I'm trying not to get on. And this guy literally pretty much puts his hands around her waist and pushes his way in. And so he's now like kind of half grinding her and me. And it's kind of like, hey, good looking. No, it's not. And so I'm kind of trying to avoid him and her and everyone. And you're trying to do that in like this compressed space. And it's so, so awkward. And Stockwell Tube Station is like at the light at the end of the tunnel. It is the holy grail where as the tube pulls in, people swarm off to get on the Victoria line and you fall to your knees, thanking God, in front of the rest of the carriages. They're like, what a weird fanatic. No, I don't actually fall to my knees. But you feel like it and you're like, yes. There's even the possibility that you might be blessed with the favor of the gods and find a seat. <laughs> that, if that interchange goes really well and enough people go on, you can quick bang. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and what? And what, what are you saying? What are you saying? You wish you had this seat. And that's kind of how it plays down. Although this time, it, this Friday was significantly different. The train pulls in at Stockwell and I can hear this thud and I can hear screams all outside the carriage as the train just grinds to a halt and doesn't line up properly and the doors try to open. But they make this weird sound I've never heard before because it's not aligned properly so the doors won't even open. And the people are screaming and we're stuck in this confined sardine can and then I people are starting to go like, oh, someone committed suicide, someone thrown themselves under, like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be late, da 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 da. And then I'm just like, no, no, we definitely hit someone, but I, I don't, it didn't feel like we went over anything, like, and then I started to feel like really sick and really nauseous. And then you're not only feeling sick and nauseous, but you're feeling like really confined and claustrophobic. And like, I don't like feeling confined and claustrophobic. So being crammed in this space and the doors not opening is like, makes me wanna like totally freak out and like just go, ah, whatever. And then I'm looking around and then everyone's freaking out. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's really distressed. So I just started chatting around and people going like, hey, anyone got any exciting plans for the day? <laughs> people are like, oh my gosh. I'm like, no, I just 
don't want to think about that right now. And there comes this moment where there's release and the doors open and a lot of people behave really normally. They pour out and they go straight across the other platform to get on the Victoria line. Like nothing's happened. And I'm on this tube and I'm thinking, well, it's probably not going to get starting again for a while. And actually, I don't know if I want to continue this journey anymore. And so I step off the tube. And as I step off the tube, three meters to my left is this gentleman laying kind of mangled position on the floor. And he's had it, it, the tube has literally hit his head. And his, his head's still on, but his face is like purple and you can see all the veins. Really weird. You can see like these lines up at his face. And like, yeah, it was just totally, this shock moment kind of hit me. And I just went, you know what? I'm totally done with this journey. And just walked straight up the stairs um, to leave Vauxhall, um, to leave Stockwell Tube Station. And as I kind of left, I'm just kind of like praying for this guy, thinking like he wasn't, by the looks of everything I'd seen at the time, and I know later on that it, it wasn't a suicide attempt. He bent down to get something, a bag or a lighter, people have said. But he set out his day to live a normal life, and then bang, like his life will never be the same again. Because judging by what I saw laying on the floor, like even if he lives, it's not going to be the same level of living. Like, it, he looked like, I, I don't think, and they had like air ambulance flying over as I was leaving and an ambulance stopping outside. They closed the whole station down and um, I just literally just walked all the way to Vauxhall. I wanted to throw up, I felt ill, phoned Jody, told her like kind of what happened. But then ultimately what it does is this moment happens where the opportunity for something extremely sacred you start to look at your entire life and where you're going, where you're at, what you're doing, the habits you live in, the things that you do, and you start to ask really big questions of everything, like what actually matters. And all of a sudden, there's the routine that you go through, and the question asked, that could be me tomorrow. He didn't try to commit suicide. He generally bent down for something, and that happened. That could be me. And if that is me, and my life is going to come to this, this end, this sudden climactic summary of everything, and I'm just gone, and everyone carries on with the day, and no one seems to really care that much, and ultimately the end of my existence is this moment, then I, I want my life to uh, have meant something, at least to me. Everyone else is just carrying on. It's gone in the news and things like that, but everyone just carries on with their life. And even if you're a celebrity, the world just carries on moving. It doesn't just stop and go, we will no the earth goes, I will no longer rotate. I am done revolving around this ball of fire. That's it, I'm done. It just carries on. But what do I want my life to mean? What's gonna to matter to me? What, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna stop doing? What am I gonna carry on doing? What am I gonna attach more time to? What is gonna change? And so it's all about this kind of big variable. And it all comes down to one word. It comes down to faith. It comes down to what you believe, what I believe. And within the Hebrew culture in their society, they had this word for faith, which was amin, aman. It's like amen, but with an AA. Um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it's not that. It's, although that requires a lot of aman. Anyway, a lot of faith. So it's all about this word faith. Now, faith for us is about this abstract notion of something we know or believe. So when you talk about faith, you might say something to me like, um, I have faith in or I believe in, say you're a football fan, one-touch football. Now let's say that you believe in one-touch football and you take with you someone who's of a Hebrew background or someone living in the time of the scriptures at any given point from the beginning straight through to the end. This is pretty much how they believe this, uh, whether it's Old or New Testament. And you take them to the park, and let's just say they knew football, and they knew how to play, even though the game wasn't invented when they were alive. 
Let's say they get in, they join in with this, and you've been talking about what you believe. You believe in these style of tactics. You believe one-touch football is the best form of football because no one can close you down and get you. You explain all the tactics behind it, all the thoughts, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. Then they watch you play. And when you play, you, you don't take one touch the whole game. The best you ever do is two touches. You control it and you pass it. But not one point the ball comes to you and you pass it straight away. You just don't do it the whole match. This guy would come up to you afterwards and he would be like, he'd be like, dude, like, you're a liar. <laughs> like, you're a total liar. Like, you just said to me, you believe this, with all the tactics and stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I do believe it's the best. Yeah, but you didn't do any of it. Like, not once did you do a one-touch pass. Everything was two touches, three touches. One time I told you take five flipping touches. Five touches, dude. You do not believe this. You do not take this seriously at all. You have no faith in this system, in this way of playing football whatsoever. They would be completely baffled. And the reason for that is, amen for them means like an action. It's something that you do. So because you believe this, it moves straight past the knowledge. It already assumes you know the knowledge but it assumes you believe something because you do it. Which I think is fundamentally different to what Christianity has kind of morphed into. I hear loads of guys who are talking about good theology, good doctrine, good orthodoxy, the right things to believe. But the other word that they miss a lot is orthopraxy, which is like the right action to go with it. And so often there's this huge disconnect of believing these things. And I've sat with people who would argue, blue in the face, certain things they believe, but I've never seen any evidence of those things in their life. And it just makes no sense whatsoever. And so in the Bible, what we have is we have these instructions and these laws. And actually, when we go back through the history of it, what we have is we have is, uh, Moses gives to Israel 613 commandments. 613 commandments for them to live by, to know what it is to be in right relationship with God. Faith means firm, steadfast, secure, or nurtured. Um, it's a very pictorial kind of word in the Hebrew language. So they had 613 commandments for them to have their, put their faith in, their trust in. 613. But then David, in Psalm 15, reduces it down to 13 commandments. So Moses gets 613. David brings it down to 13 commandments. And then Isaiah, in Isaiah 33, reduces it to six core instructions. And then Micah restores it down to three and then Isaiah has one other instance in Isaiah 56 verse 1 where he's reduced them now down to two. But then this dude Habakkuk comes and he reduces it down to one. So it's almost like throughout the history you have, it's, it's almost like, um, I know we did a series on like, um, uh, like uh, freestyle rap battles and we looked at the, the poetic flow of the prophets, the simile, the rhyme play, and how they did things in the Hebrew language. If this was like a rap battle, you'd have Moses, and he would have sprayed 613 bars and gone boom. And the next guy would have been like, wow, that was a little long, Moses. No one's going to remember that. Bang, David 13. Then it drops down, drops down, drops down. And then Habakkuk literally steps to the mic, one bar, drop mic, exit stage right. One flipping bar. And so Habakkuk has this unique way of looking at how all of what God wants for our lives to be fulfilled. But it wouldn't be right if we were talking about the subject of faith that we didn't look at the chapter of faith. So Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, he then goes to list the criteria of all these different people. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. He then goes on, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place um, he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise for as a foreign as in a foreign foreigner that is in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive and then he lists on and on and on he goes through Abraham again then he goes Moses by faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict by faith Moses when he was grown up refused to call be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter but choosing to be mistreated with the people that in to, um, uh, people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of this world of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of Egypt, for he was looking for, to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed over the Red Sea. And it goes on and on and on. And you have this whole chapter by faith, by faith, by faith. And Paul teaches us that it's by faith. He talks about this argument in Galatians. These people, he says, who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell on you? That you think now that it's by um, the law that you are, 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 are made whole, that you are saved, that you are, you are refined. Did you start this in this or did you start this by a work of the Spirit? Did you start this a work of faith he talks about? And then in Ephesians, he emphasizes the same thing again and again and again. Now, we look at these things and we think like what Paul is on is on some next wave, which is like totally different to that of the Old Testament. Like it, like it kind of sets itself apart as being this kind of new way of thinking, which is totally alien to the old. But it's really, really not. Because when I was talking to you guys at the beginning of this, we were talking about the different areas of the, like the commandment, the instruction, how it narrowed down, how it narrowed down, how it narrowed down until it came to Habakkuk who literally came with one bar and just dropped the mic on the stage, exit stage right, I'm done with this, I've just killed it, I've nailed it, I don't need to say anything else. So, Habakkuk, chapter 1. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and will you not hear? So Habakkuk's voicing like his concern, his pain, his heartache. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded this is God's response to Habakkuk's question for I am doing works in your days that you would not believe if told for behold I am rising up the Chaldeans the bitter that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to see the dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. And he lists all this stuff. And then he goes through as God makes Habakkuk aware of all that he is doing among these other nations that he's looking at and being disgusted by. He's letting Habakkuk see like the bigger picture. And then Habakkuk's second complaint after that is, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment 
and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up more righteous than he? You make mankind, mankind like fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net? And mercilessly killing the nations forever. And then this moment comes where Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And I will look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaints. And now he's said it. His voice is hurt. His voice is complaint. He's voiced what he's seen that's wrong in the world. He's seen the injustice. He's seen the unfairness of it. He's heard God's initial response to God saying, I'm working out behind the scenes of all the pain, all the anxiety, all the hurt, all the things that are happening in the wider picture among all the nations that you see as these problems. I'm working behind the scenes. I'm bringing about something good out of the background of it. And here Habakkuk says, okay, I've said my piece. Now I'm going to stand. I'm going to look out. I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch and see what you have to say. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 2, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up and it is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's, that's Habakkuk's bar. Everyone else had these huge long lists, all these different rules, and it came down and came down and came down. But Habakkuk has this moment with God where God speaks to him, and he sees this bigger picture of the overarching scheme of all of it, that we are justified by faith, that the just shall live by faith. And what it says in the literal language the literal expression in the Hebrew is the just, the righteous, shall live by his faithfulness. Shall live by his faithfulness. So it's talking about this person and they're just by the faithfulness of their actions and what they believe in. And faith for them is something that is steadfast, firm and true. It's an agreement like a business deal. So like we come to the table with a, t- a deal. We make an agreement. I say that I'm going to buy this of you for this X amount of money um, and you're going to give me this for it. I give you that money. I give you that money in faith. I may not get the, re- the recipient of it straight away. So it's not this blind thing. It's something we've discussed and agreed with, which is why when we talked about Moses, there's all these commandments that he lists out. He gives it to the people. The people say, you will be our God. We will be your people. They embrace it. They get hold of it. They agree with it. There's this covenant. It's between two. It's not one-sided. And it's an agreement. And then you have faith in that covenant. You have faith in that promise. And so here what Habakkuk is saying, where he's looking at all the messed up the, uh, nature that's in the world. He's looking at all the wrong that's going on. He's going, can justice ever be balanced? Can things ever be okay? Will things ever be restored? Will things ever be right? And God just brings it down to the ultimate crux of absolutely everything by saying, the just shall live by his faithfulness. 
that if you want to see about a just person, is they believe something right, but they do that something right. That they invest their lives into what is right. So they see themselves for who they are, they see what's wrong in their lives, and they pursue this 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 thing of, of self-betterment and of being a better person. And so that's kind of what he's suggesting here. But ultimately, we know the bigger narrative, the wider picture, which we looked at last week, which is of God becoming flesh and blood because of an agreement and a covenant that Abraham made. Abraham had this moment where he met with God, where God prom- made this promise to Abraham and Abraham fell asleep and he dozed off. Abraham had prepared the contract. Like we do pieces of paper, we write it out and then we sign it. Abraham did what they did in their day. He cut two bu- a bull in half, separated the pieces on the ground. The blood flows across between the pieces. Then what would happen is, me and Ronnie make a deal where I'd say, okay, Ronnie, so I'm going to give you X amount of, of money and you're going to give, produce me X amount of, of music. You're going to make me some backing tracks and things like that. We're going to have this deal. Now, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may I be like these two pieces here? And then you would say, great, same with me. If I don't keep my end of the par- bargain, may I be like these pieces on the ground. That was their contract. That's how they did their contract. Abraham has this contract with God, this, this, this covenant, this thing of faith, And what happens is Abraham dozes off after he's done that. And when Abraham wakes up, a lamp is hovering and goes up and down in between the pieces. Because as you would do it, you would walk up and down the pieces saying your promise of what you promised to deliver. And then you say, if I don't do it, then I'll be these pieces. Abraham never walks up and down the pieces. This lamp hovers down it. God goes up and down the pieces. God is saying, if you break this, if I break this, I will be as this pieces. And so what happens is God never breaks his promise. God is faithful and he's true. But we're not faithful and true. And so Jesus comes and he's broken for us. And this is why he breaks the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you and for many. This is my blood of the promise poured out for you. That he is the sacrifice that restores us with God. And so when we look at this verse by Habakkuk, we say, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We see it literally, his faithfulness, as it says in the Hebrew, it doesn't just pertain to us, but it pertains to the bigger narrative that the just shall live by his faithfulness. That you and I are made alive and can be at peace with ourselves, at peace with one another, at peace with the universe, at peace with creation, not because of anything you do, rightly or wrongly, but because we can put trust and faith in the same deal that Abraham put his trust and faith in which was ultimately fulfilled in the Christian tradition on the cross that we remembered at Easter, that God would come, that we could be reconciled, not just to God, but to ourselves, that for the first time in history, the divine and the human could coexist, that you and I can be at one with God. Before it was this conflict, this turmoil between us, but that in Jesus, that which is completely God and completely human is in one, and then he sacrifices himself for us, that the just shall live by his faithfulness, because you and I are not faithful. And so this morning, as we go through this series and we do the second part of this series about faith, what we're looking at is we're not having faith in some just abstract, hairy, fairy thing that's somewhere there. We have faith right here in the here and now, that in what Jesus did for us on the cross is what we can put our trust in to know that he is faithful. Because faith takes faithfulness on both parts. 
If I make a deal with any one of you, I can make my agreement in the faith that you will do what you will do, but you're also trusting that I will do what I will do. God is faithful. And the reason that you and I can live life to the fullest, that we can have a hope for tomorrow, that we can have a hope for the future, is that Jesus is faithful. And we've seen his faithfulness in what he achieved and what he did on the cross for us. I'm going to pray for us, and that'll be kind of it for today. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your your love towards us, Father. I thank you that the just shall live by your faithfulness, God. It's by the faithfulness you've displayed for each one of us. It's the faithfulness that you gave of yourself for us. And Father, you call us to follow you in the same pursuit, that we would be faithful to you and to your words, which means we would live lives not just selfishly for ourselves, but for those around us, sacrificial lives that show that the divine and the human can not only coexist, but they were meant to exist together. We pray, Lord, that this week would be a week where you would live through us, that you would shine through us. We pray that we would be able to put our faith and our trust in you for what matters more than anything, which is to truly be alive, to truly live in the here and now, not always looking backwards, not always looking forwards, but to live with you in the moment that is sacred here and now, engulfing our every moment, that just like in the scriptures, it would be said that we would be able to say, God was in this place, but we didn't know it, that we would be aware to the sacred nature of everything within our lives, our friendships, our family. Father, we just pray that you would be with us, Father, that we would encounter the same revelation that Habakkuk had, that he had so many big questions about the world, about suffering and about pain, but that ultimately it all comes down to faith and that the just, the righteous, shall live by your faithfulness and by putting our faith in you and our trust in you. Father, we just pray that you'd be with us, that you'd go ahead of us, that you would guide us, that you would shape us and you would transform us to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.